0: and welcome to discussing trek today we are reviewing star trek prodigy season one episode 10 a moral star part 2 thanks for subscribing what we do on this podcast is review each and every episode of star trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things trek like always i'm your host clarence and i'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash trekkies starting with other than cal jones how you doing man
1: you know what? As always, that sounds like a broken record, but I'll continue being a broken record and say glad to be here and cannot wait to talk about this. Glad to have you,
0: sir, as we round out the first half of season one of Star Trek Prodigy. I'm surprised that is actually 20 episodes, but you know what? It's been interesting and I'm here for it. But without further ado, also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How you doing?
2: Uh, well, I think I came from the same record store that, uh, Cal was at and I'm a little bit broken too and saying, I'm also glad to be here and excited to talk about another great Trek episode. What is
0: this record store you guys speak of?
2: I don't know, but they break a lot of records.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're going to get right into it. Star Trek Prodigy and Moral Star Part 2 was written by the entire season one writing staff of Star Trek Prodigy and it was directed by Ben Hibben. When the plan goes awry, the crew must improvise. Meanwhile, Gwen discovers a dark truth that will forever jeopardize their quest for salvation. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. i gives give you the right. You cannot destroy an undefeated. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you
1: never know. But Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week, sir? So here's what I have this week. What can I say that I, or we, have not already said about Prodigy? Was it brilliantly written? Yes. Was the animation equally breathtaking and out of this world? Yes. Were the voice actors fantastic? Absolutely. Were there twists that we didn't see coming? Of course. Was I left disappointed that we must now wait before the next episode airs? Yes, indeed. But for me, my moment came not during the episode itself, but in the final scene. But let me not get ahead of ourselves here. Instead, continue. I'll just sit here and drink my cup of coffee. Carry on.
0: Oh, man. Unfortunately, I don't have my cup of coffee here, but I do have my I'm holding a grudge mug sitting right in front of me. So I'm happy about that. Jonathan Shorts, high level thoughts of the episode. You
2: probably should just from here on out, just kind of paste the recording of what I say in my high level views for Prodigy and just paste that into every episode going forward, because I feel like that's it. Like. Just overall, a great show, man. I enjoyed that 23 minutes of goodness through and through Uh writing was awesome. Animation was awesome. Story was awesome. Everything. I have no complaints, man, have no complaints. And as I always say, they had a problem. And this time, the problem was split over two episodes. But we had a nice tied off solution to said problem. And I appreciated that so much. It wasn't overly complicated. It didn't leave out any like, well, what happened to this or what happened to that? Like it addressed every little problem we had amongst the big problem. And it all just came together nicely at the end. So great overall.
0: Yeah. And as we kind of squared off some theories, more theories arose in this episode. But Kyle Jones,
1: high level thoughts, sir. High level thoughts, you know. I have to be snarky a little bit because I love being snarky. But of course, it's not about this. It's about lower decks and the, I'm just predicting the future since, you know, this is a story about the future that prodigy is going to further our, I don't want to say distaste, but our critical eye on lower decks when next it comes around. Just saying
0: a hundred percent, man, it, has woven itself so beautifully into canon that we know and characters that we know and love and even introduced these new beloved characters uh by this ragtag crew you know i just think they're hitting on all cylinders it's going
1: to be interesting when we get some more lower decks to see where they go you know even with discovery which is the story that really and truly in many ways, started. The idea, I believe, for this podcast, we've not always agreed and gave glowing recommendations on episodes of Discovery. But I think it's been pretty much universal that we've glowingly talked about Prodigy every freaking week.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly art in the storytelling that they're doing here to have something that's resonating. And also, you know, in many ways is really pushing the story forward and giving us a lot of meat to chew on. So let's get into rescuing the unwanted. And we see Dal do this thing with the communicator, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Do you think that's been earned for him? Because it seems like in the last few episodes, especially when we see the time episode of how he kind of makeshift builds this this tool that we needed to. Um, contain the the protocol. And now he's doing this cool thing with the help of zero to make everybody's ankle bracelet be a universal translator. I thought that was pretty cool thoughts on that.
2: I liked it. I I didn't have an issue with it. Yes, it can be a question of, you know, when did he develop the expertise to do that? And especially in such a short amount of time, but we only have 23 minutes. So, you know, we can go without that explanation, but I had no idea that was coming. Like, I it never crossed my mind, you know, we were going to have a communication issue with Unwanted. It's a bunch of different species and never really allowed to speak with each other. So, you know, on a large scale rescue mission, communication was going to be important. Yes. And like, I I just I it never crossed my mind. And then when it did, it's like, oh, well, man, that is a great, ingenious idea. And, you know, then I was thinking, like, what kind of genius would have taken to, like, I don't see B'Elanna Torres or Chief O'Brien coming up with the idea of making an ankle bracelet to UTs.
1: Mm. So did I read, I mean, did I watch or did I interpret it incorrectly? Because I thought he came up with the idea of doing that. But like on a one on one, it was zero that actually did for everybody. Did I
0: interpret that wrong? I think they kind of coordinated on it. I don't, I thought it was him that actually ex- executed the plan, but Zero may have helped them kind of, you know, um, come to terms with the idea. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Zero could have had a lot to do with that, which would kind of
2: help the, the thing of, you know, how did Dahl come up with this on his own?
1: But even still, it goes back, if, if that is the case, it still goes back to he was more than just the punk kid, you yeah. know. Yeah. And they even worked in this
0: little bit about these two people that's been on the planet that kind of confessed their love for <laughs> each other, that have never been able to talk to each other. I thought that was really, really cool that they were able to work that bit in.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, they need not kind of get to the point
1: like, listen, y'all about to die. Can we do this later? <laughs> <laughs> but imagine on that level that they've never been able to communicate seriously. Yeah, right. mean, And then they have that moment. And, you, and so you get that. But, you know, you get the moment. Story continues. Uh, yeah, I thought it was cool. So meanwhile, we we'll get Rock and, and, and Jacob Pog uh,
0: heading to repair the engines for the Rev-12. Re- and we finally, well, we once again get to see Rock put together her newfound engineering skills. And just thoughts on Rock and maybe what her role is going to be in the ship going forward. I think it's kind of apparent to where where she's going. But just our thoughts on that, if anybody wants to elaborate.
2: I like it. I like it. And, and, and not to say, I don't mean this in any way, but I'm glad to see she has a role of importance. Yeah. So last time we talked specifically about roles of our characters on the ship, like my comment was, you know, maybe Rock would be more of the, um, counselor maybe. role. Oh, well, yeah. Well, not that, yeah. like more of the counselor role. Slash heavy, but she didn't really like that idea. <laughs> so I was like, maybe she'll be more of a counselor role, which was still good. But I was like, it's like potential there. And you see it and you want it to be expanded on number one. And number two, what's the guy's name? Jacob Park. Jenkins. Listen, he not once struck me as an engineer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, he was kind of the fix it tinkerer guy. You know, he might not be the standard body book engineer guy, but if you put him in something in front of something, he'll probably make it work. He
2: was the duct tape and wishes guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, don't knock the duct tape, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: True, But I'm just glad to see Rock step into that role a little bit more, uh, and I I would like to see that progress more. But then it's the question of what do we do with Jankum Pop?
0: Well, that's my next question, Cal. Jankum was kicking some serious butt in this episode. So do you think he might be the new security officer?
1: He may well be. And, you know, I, I'll answer this kind of combined with both characters here and actually all the characters here. What I'm particularly liking about this setup is you have your traditional roles in Star Trek that we've known for the past 50 plus years. You know how those come about. They go to Federation. I mean, you know, they go to the Academy, et cetera, and so forth. And they go up through the ranks and get that. What I find cool about this, though, is you've got these characters who have their duct tape abilities and have this assumption that because you're big and look strong, that that's all you can be. And I think it's a good lesson for us as the audience yeah. to, to know just in society, don't judge the book by its cover. See what's beneath the book, you know, see what's inside the book beneath the cover and explore that. And I think that's what they're doing with these characters. So it, is he going to be the next security officer? Maybe so. For hell, he might be the next counselor. We may, <laughs> we don't know that. You know, we yeah. had, uh, Neelix as the chef. Yeah. I mean, it, I love the fact that you don't know. They're not cookie cutter. Characters. And I think that may be what's resonating so well with us or with the audience is the fact that it's kind of not what you're expecting. Yeah. And
0: to even further that idea that you just put out there, we get this fight between Dreadnought, first Zinkum and, uh, Rock, but then the unwanted jump in as well. And we see the Cation. The cute cat girl that I thought was like the cutest, precious Pal. little thing. She was kicking butt. She threw them claws out there, yo.
2: <laughs> and the the intro, the intro statement that she made when she came through the door, like, we had no voice and now we do. Good for us, bad for you. I was like, oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: cha-ching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, so unannounced un- un- to everybody, uh, Dreadnought managed to retrieve the proto-core th- during that sh- scuffle there. So the Rev-12 took off, and it's in pursuit of the proto-star. So I think my thoughts, I, th- I said this in the last episode, I think I was exactly right on this, because I thought the, the fake, the, the, the Janeway getting reprogrammed, I-, I didn't think that she was really reprogrammed, because I think that's something they probably would have thought of. And in fact, she was not. And we get a freaking upgraded Janeway. Yes. Mr. Jones, thoughts on upgraded kick your butt Janeway, hologram Janeway.
1: Bravo, excelsior, uh, multibene, whatever you want to say. Love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was she was kicking butt. Thoughts, John? Uh,
2: my, I, I loved it. I agree with Kyle. Uh, but my issue like this is a long time coming. Like this ship was so advanced. And, like, even on TNG, I mean, holograms could interact and touch yeah. and move things, you know? So I kind of questioned a while back. We had a one of the episodes where Janeway couldn't grab something or touch something. And I kind of questioned it. It wasn't a big deal. but I just kind of went, hmm, wonder why not. So the fact that that had to be an upgrade was interesting. But all that aside, I loved it. And, again, I did not see that coming.
0: Yeah, I can see from a, maybe a power point of view that maybe they didn't make her able to actually touch stuff just to make it easier to just project for to say power or whatever. I can see the the case there but they really didn't say that. Right. But the fact that we've seen uh, EMH command hologram, you know, we've seen variations of a hologram get different roles within the ship from the doctor going to just a doctor to taking on some command roles. So it was obviously it it seemed like it would be some point where we'd see her get an upgrade and be able to do a bit more than than what she initially was able to do. I don't think there was a time I've seen a hologram that couldn't manipulate
2: real objects. Yeah, that's I don't know. But anyway, not a big problem. I just just kind of popped out at me. But I mean, even on Enterprise, you had that episode where Trip took a he went to work on his alien in, in engine. And they had their first experience with a a holodeck sort of type deal. And I mean, even still, like the holographic items, they could actually touch themselves. So,
1: yeah, I see your point. The only thing that I think I'll slide toward Clarence's point about is I would see an instructor like I'm 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 thinking in a classroom setting, you're up in front of the classroom, you're talking. You're not interacting other than here's the information, read this chapter, here's your test, etc. cetera. And it may have been more so as this person wasn't needed to be nothing more than a projection.
0: Right. And of course, upgraded Janeway disables the diviner's breathing apparatus, which is always pretty cool. I'm kind of theorizing, trying to figure out why he actually needs the breathing contraption. Like, is that an effect of him having time travel? Because, of course, Gwen doesn't need it, but he needs it for some reason. It seems like his body is falling apart. So I'm thinking that might be an effect of him time traveling or something or different atmospheric composition. I don't know. I don't know. It just felt kind of weird. Almost too dark vader to me.
2: Well, I kind of was looking at it as maybe he's just so freaking old at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's. I mean, obviously, he came way from the future when his civilization has collapsed. So, I mean, he was already older and now he's been in this timeline long enough to set up that whole labor camp and search for this protostar and set it all up. And like, I'm just assuming he's so
0: old and that's just what is keeping him alive. Did he overshoot the time period he was trying to get back to? Because he was in that time frame still looking for the protostar. So he obviously had to probably overshoot a few years. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Hmm.
2: And it still brings to the question, what was the protostar
0: doing there? Buried. Mm. I don't know. I think that's, you know, I kind of think that's what they're going to open up with the next half of the season. They have to give us that information almost immediately because at this point is pretty pivotal in the story going forward.
2: Oh, you know, you know what? Just crossed my mind. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, go for uh, it. But, well, we jump to the when we get to the end, we'll see another ship commanded by another person. But that's that particular ship does not have a proto drive either.
0: But it has something else that we'll talk about when we get there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But what if the diviner and his future Starfleet was full full of proto drives and he jumped one back with him, which is how it ended up buried, which he had to create this mining crew to dig it up?
0: But how was Jakoté on it, though? Oh, crap. Because it's yeah. 50 years in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but speaking of said backstory, we do get the the more more backstory on the Diviner and Gwen's people, the Vanukat, their home world, which is Solemn, which I thought the Diviner's name was Solemn. But I guess Solemn is the name of the home world. <laughs> it was destroyed sometime in the near future. Enter the Diviner's holiday program solemn dash one someone just take it and kind of explain what's going on here in this scene
1: so from my understanding is the federation had first contact federation left the people on the planet basically break out in civil war but over what they want to do and it ultimately resulted in annihilation of the planet because of faction a and faction b
0: yes yes such a deep story for this freaking cartoon
2: (laughs) it is and that kind of goes back to reflect on our episode before last when they had first contact with a civilization that they probably shouldn't have had with yes and imagine what it's doing to that civilization
0: well, John, elaborate a little bit, because this is an off-used kind of trope in in Star Trek of talking of first contact and how it's going to affect the civilization. And, you know, being too early is a civilization really ready for it. And we see where apparently this beautiful, sprawling planet that, like most planets, think they're the center of the universe meets the Federation and it all goes to hell in a handbasket.
2: Yeah, it's a... Uh... Many episodes come to mind uh, specifically, and we mentioned this not long ago, is the Voyager episode where they were. uh Was it Voyager where the planet was going faster? That's, yeah, that was a was, Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. And so but what happened because of this, it caused that species to evolve faster than normal. Like they started creating weapons to attack the ship. You know, and normally that wouldn't have happened. Uh And then there's another episode. I think this was a TNG episode where they had a science state, a science uh, outpost like, like hidden watching this planet and watching their progression as a species. Uh, and they were like pretty much almost prehistoric, but that holographic, that holographic camouflage failed and one of the people died and they found this person. So Anyway, all that to be said, that first contact had to be made to save the crew. Yeah. But they started worshiping Picard. Yeah. As a god, Picard. The Picard. And and it just they so. And immediately, just in that little group of people, there started to form a split. Yeah. And mm. some people were thinking he's a god and we need to kill people to satisfy him. Some people were like, no, maybe not. You know, and that could have evolved into a civil war gone unchecked.
0: Yeah. And we've even had cases where it's like, after the end of the episode, it's just one person who knows what happened. He's like, don't tell the people they, they can't take, you know, the news right now. It would destroy us, you know? So it's, it's an offused trope. And I find it fascinating that they're using it in this episode to not really redeem the diviner, but it makes us a little more sympathetic to his plight.
2: Oh, and one more example, then I'm going to shut up. So I just watched this. It was an Enterprise episode the other day. I don't remember the name. Forgive me. But they found this habit, habited world, inhabited world, and they wanted to visit it. So Archer and uh Malcolm Reeves and someone else, I forgot. They got the doctor to kind of make their face up to look like the culture and wore the clothes so they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't yeah. contaminate the timeline. So they go down there, they see what's going on, spend some time with them. Great learning experience. They come back to the ship and Malcolm realizes that he lost his communicator.
0: Oh, boy.
2: So they go back to get it, but they didn't know that there was an actual civil war going on. And the head of one of these factions found this communicator. They thought the other side had started some new technology. (laughs) So they now they're starting the civil war is starting to heat up even more because they thinking they got technology we don't have. We need to create more technology and I mean and pretty much they left that. I mean there's not much they could do. Like they had to take a camouflaged uh Suleiman ship down and get the get Archer and Reeves and they still I mean they left but I mean they didn't tell these people not to tell anybody. They just they just left it like that. Yeah. So I can imagine what's gonna happen.
0: And it is funny i mean once a, a civilization reaches the stars we introduce ourselves and make first contact but i mean i think with all planets is like any of their internal struggles we don't really involve ourselves in so we're pretty much blowing up their civilization and then like saying you deal with it right so Kyle, let's get into the diviner's plan Wipe out all of Starfleet from existence using a weapon that is aboard the Protostar. So apparently when the Protostar comes in contact with the Starfleet vessel, the weapon will release a signal that will corrupt the systems of the ships, turning the ships against each other and ultimately kind of destroying the alliance that is the Federation. Why would the Diviner go to this Extremes, I mean, I think because I think there could be other solutions that he's I mean he's always the the worst solution possible is what they come up with in these situations, but is this the best viable option in this situation?, mm.
1: so you know I've been sitting here hoping and keeping my fingers crossed that you were going to ask me this question <laughs> because that allows me to be able to say that the way I see it. The diviner is doing nothing more than his entire thing, which is all around an idea of assassining the federation. <laughs> Sorry. I've just been waiting for that, but seriously, uh, other than assassining the, the federation, I, I don't know. You know, you said maybe making him a little bit more sympathetic. I don't know if I am sympathetic to him. I, I, I think he is any. Bad guy that comes back to the, from the future that goes back into the past in order to do something. I don't know if his, no pun intended because of the name of the actor, but I don't know if his intentions are noble. I go back to what one of you just said a moment ago, which is there are other ways to have gone about it. And I think that somebody that was going back to try to save his or her people would not be doing some of the things that he is doing in the way that he is doing them. So I don't think at a moral compass level that he has a good moral compass. Yeah. Yeah. Gwen even
0: calls him out. She calls him out. You know, this is not the way to go about it. And it's funny how quick she's adopted the Starfleet ways, but she's already, she's always been kind of a good person. You know, she's just been at the whim of her father, but she's, pretty much always been a good person
2: you know and i I get your point like i did and i mean even gwen like started to sympathize with what he was doing until like cal said it's like it's just not the right way to go about it even if that is the case and even if you're that upset about it they're like it's just there's a, a streak of evil in someone that wants to do that that whether their civilization was destroyed or not That's just who they were going to be. Like that, that instance, that tragedy did not cause him to become who he is. He was that Mm -hmm. way already.
1: Ooh, well said.
2: Now that being said, this whole plan of turning all the Starfleet ship, uh, ships against you just kind of struck a lot of chords with the burn. And we know that didn't, that turns out not to be anyone causing it on purpose, but I mean, what a way to cripple the Federation of Starfleet by making basically getting rid of all the ships.
0: Yeah. And is it like, and I'm just assuming here it's going to make the ships kind of just fire on each other. Uh, that's,
2: That's what I assume. Hmm. And I mean, you have to give him, give him credit for the plan. Like he, you know, that Starfleet didn't necessarily destroy his, his civilization, but they were the initiating cause of it destroying itself from within. And he's doing the same thing to the Federation.
0: Well, let's, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's expand on that a little bit, uh, a little bit more. So I'm kind of, I mean, I I think it's a good plan, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a good plan. <laughs> well, it's not what I would have done. Cause you think he wants this protostar. He wants this ship. Why is the protostar so important just to push out what is basically a hack to each to a virus, to every system, to make the computers, uh, the com- ships fire on each other? I mean, I don't see why the protostar is so critical in making that happen. I mean, the guy can travel in time. Couldn't he just like travel back to Federation headquarters and, you know, plant the virus there? Like, mm. why is the protostar so important to make this happen?
2: Not sure. I Originally, until you just said he could have just traveled back in time to before they had ships that go far enough, you know, but my yeah. original my original thought was, you know, and again, where I led to he brought the protostar back is because he can get to the Federation faster from where he is. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, he still could have just traveled back to the Alpha Quadrant and done it.
0: But yeah, or maybe uh, he mean, can travel in time and not in space or something. Right? something.
1: Or maybe his travel, whatever he had was a one trip, one time. And that's it.
2: Yeah. Or yeah. whatever he had. I mean, it is a Starfleet ship. So whatever he's going to do will affect his ship, too. So he needs to get out of there quick. Yeah. So so the questions I
0: think we have still on the table is why is the Protostar so important to him specifically? And how did it end up on Tars Lamora and how did he even know about it? I mean, I think that's something we really need to get answers to. Uh, and where is Chakotay? <laughs> uh, well, let's get into this final showdown between Gwen Dow, the diviner and Zero. Zero saves the day.
1: I thought our prediction from last week. It was unfortunately coming true i was glad that i was wrong but i thought we were about to see the fall of one of the characters and i was not happy but i'm glad that it wasn't what we thought
0: which character which character uh gwen yeah you were close john you were almost spot on with that and they <laughs> did it they almost they, they kind of got away with it in a small way yeah. but man i would have never thought that and you were spot freaking on with that dude
2: yeah, that would have it would have hurt, but I think we could have stood that hurt more than anybody else. Mm, I disagree. Well, no, <laughs> we couldn't have stood that, but I I guess it would it'll been enough to get that emotional reaction. Like I said, if it would have been Murph, we probably wouldn't have been that bad <laughs> off about it. But
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think it was enough to make us even more sympathetic for that character, and it was, it was very impactful just to see her disrupted by you know getting just the mirror. Reflection of Zero in the Calm badge of Dal. I thought that was was really really impactful, and to see Zero's, I guess, true power.
1: Oh make, my goodness! To make you
0: go mad. <laughs> and
2: that explosion was off the charts. I love that. Yeah, it was pretty badass. How he
0: like, I'm gonna reveal my true self. <laughs> 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 oh, so cool, so cool. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have to really give. The team props for coming up with a a really good plan. They kind of thought out everything, all the possibilities, and they made the right. Of course, you know, it's a TV show, but they made the right decisions each time, which I just thought was beautiful. Yeah.
2: Hey, you know, if this had been like a PG-13 or or like not for kids show, you know, Gwen would have been gone, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just
1: saying. Yeah, Probably so. Maybe, but I, but but I'm going to push back the other way. I think it was another clever advancement in the story by the writers to dangle that possible expungent of the character from the story to make you realize, hey, we're ten episodes in, but we're really starting to care about these characters.
0: Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Very true.
0: For some reason, she reminded me of Detmer once she got the. The implant thing. Uh. And and, and the uh, Cobra uniform. (laughs) Yes. That was awesome. So, Cal, the Diviner is now Gollum, basically. (laughs) My precious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to assassin the Federation with my precious. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Oh, my. Oh, my.
0: Have we seen the last of him? I don't think so. I don't think so. He's going to pop up somewhere in a very Smeagol fashion. Probably. <laughs>
1: I have divined this. <laughs>
0: oh, the press is his ship. The protostar, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, uh, inter
0: Admiral Janeway, who seems to be tracking the proto warp signature. I'm coming to thoughts.
1: I got to take this one. Cause I love me some Janeway. I want Janeway meets Janeway. When Janeway meets Janeway grinning from ear to ear, I shall be. Oh man. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Oh, it's got to happen. So
0: I mean I've been reading some I don't know if you guys have been reading articles, but the Hagmans have been talking about the second half of the season and they've been mentioned that they've been mentioning that Admiral Janeway may be a bit of an antagonist in the second half of the season. I don't know if you guys have read that, but Mm-mm. she's hunting this ship down and she wants answers.
1: Really? She's Janeway. <laughs> Janeway versus Janeway. <laughs> I don't care way because I will be happy way. Way happy. I want Star Trek Janeway. Yeah. That's what I want.
0: Yeah. It's going to be awesome.
1: But yes, I would love that. Let's get some thoughts on the Dauntless. If you didn't
0: know, the Dauntless is, the USS Dauntless, was featured in an episode of Star Trek Voyager Hope and Fear when I forget the guy's name, but it was an alien whose civilization was destroyed by the Borg due to the deal that Janeway made with the Borg to get through Borg space to annihilate 8472. And to get back at Janeway and Voyager, he actually came up with this ship, the Dauntless, the USS Dauntless, which was. A alien ship that he used some cloaking uh, technology to make it look like a Federation ship.
2: Oh yeah, but I remember that.
0: This is the I think is the first instance where we get a slip st- slipstream drive in Voyager. So I get I I think the Hagemans talked about this too. I think what happened was is that they took these schematics that were retrieved from this alien ship. And of course, they started working to build a real dauntless. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And and of course, you know, if you're in Voyager, they kind of canceled using the slipstream drive due to its. They couldn't perfect the technology. At least Voyager couldn't at the time.
2: They did use it for a little bit. It got them like 100 light years further or something crazy.
0: Yes. Yes. When they did that first test, they did use it then. But after that, uh, I think that's when Timeless happened, and you had right. uh, uh, Harry Kim going back to fix it. Right. <laughs> They're always messing with time in Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> so the crew actually died, and and Harry Kim went back and and kind of saved them. But this is a ship built off of those schematics, apparently, and, hmm. um, and really interesting. So I'm thinking she's going to be able to get to there really quickly with this slipstream technology in this ship.
1: Good job well, catching that. I didn't catch it. All I can say is if there is anyone in the Federation, in Starfleet, who can get a long distance in a very short time, it's Janeway.
0: <laughs> She's kind of the poster child for that. Indeed. Uh, just Indeed. A bit. Indeed. Yeah, cool. Well, that's it for Prodigy for the first half of the season. Guys, any thoughts of what may happen in the second half before we wrap things up? Uh um, So hard to say, man. Steel theories (laughs) of galore. I don't know. Yeah. I predict more greatness. (laughs) And Janeway versus Janeway. (laughs) Janeway's. (laughs)
2: Janeway's.
0: (laughs) Awesome sauce. And shout out to, oh, real quick. We did see a Trill and a Telerite and a a Dorian and a Vulcan, I think, in that last little scene aboard the Dauntless, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. But shout out to uh, Tasha and her group, her team over there on our YouTube channel, which that's why I actually got some of the information that I'm talking about. So shout out to Tasha Pierce, and you should definitely check out our YouTube channel after the snap. But with that, we're going to get right into ratings. Cal Jones.
1: Easy, easy, easy. Five, five, five. Five out of five for Cal Jones. Jonathan, what do you think, man?
0: Copy, paste, Cal. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it five Jane Ways out of five. <laughs> Ooh, awesome. <laughs> I thought it was amazing, and um I can't wait to see what they do in the second half of the season. Yeah, and guys, if you have comments about this episode, you can send that in to fans at com, or you can hit us at DiscussingTrek
1: on any and all social medias. We're going to do Trek trivia, but first, Kyle, I think you have a question for us. Yes, indeed. I do have a question. So on Saturday, I was participating in an Oz 9 9- call. Uh, If you aren't familiar with Oz9, go to oz-9.com and find out about this comedy podcast. But A question was posed to me because I am on Discussing Trek that I unfortunately wasn't able to answer. So I said that I would ask that question in our next recording. So the question is, and guys do not like set your phasers on disintegrate (laughs) when you know that I don't know the answer to this. But is the Prime Directive written down anywhere? Yeah. I mean, I don't
2: think
0: we've seen it on screen, per se, but it is written down. Okay. It's in you. the articles of the Starfleet, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely written down.
2: Starfleet. It's in, written into the Starfleet Charter.
0: Yeah, the Charter. Yep.
2: Yes,
1: sir. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'll consider myself answered.
2: And that kind of segues a little bit into my trick trivia. Let's get it. So, well, first, we need to answer last week's.
0: Will you refresh our memories on what last week's question was, sir?
2: All right. So last week we had a conversation about warp drive. And the question was, uh, what was the original right now? We called it warp drive or warp speed, but what was Zephyrin Cochran who created earth's first warp engine? What did he originally call it?
0: Oh man. I looked this up before and I can't remember. Warp drive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that will be awesome. Wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, help us out, man, because I, I looked
2: it up, but I, I quickly forgot. So according to the Next Generation Technical Manual, the original official term used by Zephyrin Cochran in the 2060s was Continuum Distortion Propulsion.
0: Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Yes.
2: It was only informally dubbed as warp propulsion continuous dispersion propulsion say that 20 times fast why don't you yeah
0: tell me about it
2: (laughs) cool bees so the next trick trivia so we did see a little bit of the ut in action today. universal translator uh that was built into the com badges yes ah so actually those were not universal translators were not always in the com badges so they actively transcribe one language to English as we hear it and it just on the fly. And it's that small. Well, originally, these were handheld devices about the size of a tricorder with a screen and a keypad that you would attach the communicators on top and it would translate, but not quite as Mm. fast when it encountered a language it didn't know and never heard. It would take a little bit of time as we saw in some enterprise episodes of that person speaking their language before the UT actually developed syntax and was able to translate it. That being said, uh, we can thank Hoshi Sato for making it a smaller version. And so made it into like what you could attach to your clothes and just a smaller version of it. She invented the program used to make it happen a little faster. Now the question is, that was just a little, you know, Fun fact. The question is there are a, there's an on screen reason for the UTs and there's an off screen reason for the UTs originally made. Do we know what those are for? What
0: those are? I mean, I think the off screen reason is so the people watching the show didn't have to read subtitles every time the Nelly and talked.
2: That's part of it,
1: yes.
0: And I'll give you the other part of it and then we we'll wait to next week for the
2: on-screen reason. The other part of the screen reason, number one, you know that Clarence, so we didn't have to read subtitles, but it also made it easier for the writers. They didn't have to create languages for each oh, individual man. species. So it sped up production time for the writers as far as writing out the text and the languages and all of that. So they created a universal translator to make that easier.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. I never thought about it like that. Hmm. But there is an off-screen reason. So t- so the off-screen reason, the main reason for the UTs in the beginning was we were going into space and we we're going to need a way to communicate with other aliens. But they had to make it smaller and faster for a reason. And the reason why we have the UTs as they are now, uh, there's a reason for that on screen. And we figure out what that is. I'll tell you next
0: week. So the question is, what is the on-screen reason for the Universal Translators?
2: Yep. That is mm-hmm. the question and is very, very much important to Starfleet
0: hmm, well that's out there to the listeners, again you can send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any of all social medias and that's going to be it for this episode guys and next week we'll be right back into Star Trek Discovery which should be a lot of fun I want answers and I want them now <laughs> oh man thank you guys for listening it's been a lot of fun and until next time live long and prosper thanks for listening to the discussing trek podcast for more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreach.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff, From the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit RealityBreached.com.
1: You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.